Welcome back to Biblical Book Review. I'm Kevin. I'm Alec. And I'm George. We are so happy you are joining us for today's study. Last week, we wrapped up Judas Iscariot, chapter 23, and that was a, that was a hard one. Uh, what does today's chapter have to offer, George? Well, A.B. Bruce divides this chapter into two parts. And what he's doing is he's looking at the, the, the farewell to uh, his disciples. And it's as if, and the title of the chapter is, as if the dying parent is giving words of comfort to the little ones. And so he is going to give this, this counsel, this comfort, and he knows that his disciples are going to be grieving and desolate. They're going to be upset that he's gone and so he has to, has to shore up their faith. He has to give them these words of comfort. And so A.B. Bruce is going to divide this chapter into two parts. As a parent would be talking to his children, the children keep interjecting questions. They keep saying, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And so what A.B. Bruce has done is kind of divided the chapter into the words of comfort and then answering the questions. And so we'll sort of dive into John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. We'll, we'll look at uh, some of these uh, words of comfort. And then also the second uh, part of this chapter is uh, his answers to their questions. Yeah, and I, and I like how he does it because I've never really uh, looked at the scripture like, or this part of the scripture like this before, uh, where you're looking at Jesus talking about this, these comforting words that he's wanting to go through. And then, but he has to keep pausing and has to keep uh, breaking it down and has to keep answering questions. But I like the way that A.B. Bruce does this, where he kind of just, okay, what does Jesus have to say about comforting words? And then we'll, we'll take care of the questions that the disciples have uh, in the next section. And I like the way that A.B. Bruce does this. Yeah. And how he uses it as he's talking to children, because we all know how it is when you talk to children. We think of the apostles as adults. That's how I think of them. But in reality, like A.B. Bruce says, they have the maturity of children. They don't understand what's going on. They don't get it. We have the foreknowledge or the ability to look back on the entire picture. So for us, it's like, why don't you get it? Well, they were, as A.B. Bruce says, like children. They didn't understand. And here Jesus is giving them comfort. And so he, he wants them to know that he is about to die. And... He, he says things that are very childlike, uh, as, as we would with our children. When, when a parent or grandparent passes away and our children are, are perplexed and we're, are curious, we don't say they died, we say they passed away, or they uh, were no longer here, or they've, they've gone on to a better place. And we try to soften the blow. And so that's what Jesus does with his disciples. He says, I am going away. He says in in kind of cloaked terms, I'm going to die, but he uses the phrase, I'm going away. And so he begins his uh, counsel, his words of comfort uh, with, with this concept, I'm going away. And so he begins with, number one, he says, here, I want you to find comfort as you love one another. And then I want you to realize that as I'm going away, I will return. I'll come back for you. And I want you to realize that even though I'm going away, I'm going to send someone else to take my place. And he calls that other person the comforter. 
And of course, we know him as the Holy Spirit. And so these are the, the words of comfort that Jesus gives his disciples. And I love how he uses the phrase, I'm going away, instead of I'm going to be dead tomorrow. You know, it's like that is that's so blunt. And so he he smooths it out for these children in their faith. Yeah, but he's told them that he's coming back, though. And that's that's why, like you said, they're going away because he's coming back. Just like when I go to work, I'm going away. Why? Because I intend to come back. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And I, I think it's funny how Peter is the most childlike because he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to come with you. <laughs> like he just he puts his boots on, stands next to the door. And is like, well, I'm going with you. I don't care where you're going. I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, and but it's 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 right. He does kind of he, he smooths it over. He's very uh, tactful in the words that he chooses and is comforting here. He can in, see into the future, and he knows that al- almost all of these disciples are going to scatter. <laughs> They're all going to go away. They're all going to be gone uh, because of uh, the events that are about to take place. But he's using these type, this types of language and this type of uh, reassurance, and obviously it stuck with them. John, you know, and the other apostles or the others that write uh, these gospels remember this and remember these words, and they write them down for us, and we have this record of what Jesus was speaking about, and we get this comforting uh, thought from him. And it's all about love. It's all about I'm gonna come back, and I'm not even gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna be leaving you with my 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 comforter. He's going to be there with you, and so uh, it is going to be a tough few hours uh, that they're all gonna have to uh, endure together. Uh, but uh, Jesus can see through the other side and see the glorification and see the plan of God, and He wants His disciples to see it as well. And so as, as Jesus begins this uh, council, he says, here's what I want to see first. I want you to love one another. Now, in our experience here on earth, we've seen individuals, when the parent or grandparent passes away, they begin fighting over what's left. And the inheritance, they're dividing up the property, they're... they're they're at each other's throat and it's, it's terrible. It's like, it's not what Jesus wants. And so Jesus says, first of all, first and foremost, I want you to love one another. And he even calls this a new commandment. And he says, this is new in the fact that it is something that is, hasn't been seen before. There's no one else that has ever come and died for mankind. No one else has ever done that. And I want you to live in such a way that you too can have that in the back of your mind. And if need be, you too can die for this movement, for Christianity, for Christ. And so this is the new commandment. It kind of goes along with the new memorial that we've uh, studied about uh, a few weeks ago where Jesus says, this is the, the new covenant Here's the memorial. I want you to remember my death. I want you to see this. So there's this new memorial, this new commandment, this new covenant. And all of these things, he says, first and foremost, I want you, when I'm gone, I want you to love one another. I want you to support each other. I want you to be there and seek the best interest of each other. 
because that is the royal law. This is the, the law of the land in Christianity, and it's love. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And these 12 men, these 11 men now with Judas gone, but these 11 men, they can't be at each other's throat. They have to be loving each other. When you, when you hear new commandment and love, you think, well, love has always been around. But this was the first time we actually had the example of what love really is. Jesus, his life, that is the example of love. We have that example through the scripture. This is the first time that mankind has actually seen love in the flesh because Jesus came in the flesh, and this is what love is. And because you think about it, you're like, well, love's been around. I'm sure people loved each other back then, but not in the way that Jesus showed love through his life, through what he's about to do. Now, this is why it's the new commandment, because now we have the example of what we're supposed to strive for. Yeah, it's this this self-sacrificial attitude, uh, and it's something that Jesus has been, been trying to drive home to these disciples for <laughs> for months now. He's been trying to teach them self-sacrifice. Uh, it's not about you. It's not about elevating yourself, exalting yourself. It's about serving one another and loving one another just as I has, have loved you. And then he says, you know, in verse uh, 35 of uh, John chapter 13, if you have love for one another, then the world will know that you're my disciples. Um, and, and so this this is uh, paramount uh, to this new faith, this new Christianity uh, that Jesus is, is going to be ratifying here with his blood, uh, because out with the old, the old covenant is being fulfilled and being done away with, and the new is here. And it's coming with a new commandment, a, a new memorial, a, a new attitude. Everything is brand new and better and superior, and the first precept of all of this is love. And, and like Dad said, it's, it's first and foremost love towards God, but it's also loving one another. Uh, and if it's, it's all about seeking that best interest of another person. Uh, because if it becomes all about me and exalting myself, then I would argue you've missed the entire point of Christianity. You've missed the point of what Jesus is doing. And so... I believe that Jesus uh, starts this process out by saying, love one another, obviously to uh, to make sure that the disciples realize they need to take care of one another, they need to care for each other, even in the hardship that they're going to endure here shortly. But for future, it's, it's, it's going to be a new attitude as a people, uh, as Christians, and we're going to be known as those that love each other. That's the point. That's the purpose of of all of this. Uh, and we follow in Jesus' example, even laying down one's life for my my brother. And, and that's uh, that is Christianity. And so his first word of comfort and counsel is love. His second word, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And so he says, I want you to exercise and draw comfort from your faith in God. Now, some of us has, have experienced this, uh, this aspect of faith. And when everything else seems to be falling apart around us, the one thing that held us together was faith, faith in God. And so when Jesus 
is looking just a few, really just a few hours into the future. He sees where he is going to be physically removed from their presence, hung on a cross and die. And then they're going to be affected by this loss, by this uh, horrific, uh, horrific, uh, you know, example of love. He, he's going to disappear from their sight. He's going to be put in a tomb and what do they have to hang on to? Well, they have to have that faith. He says, you, you hang on to that faith no matter what else happens. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And let that rule in your heart because that will provide the comfort and the peace that is necessary in, these, in this worst possible scenario. Jesus being physically removed from their presence by a mob and then beaten and then hung on a cross. All of this, they have to remember, trust in God. This is where we have to hold. And, and Jesus makes this, this second you know, word of comfort, this counsel. This has to be in your mind way before it happens, because if it's not there, Ooh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and we know they, they didn't understand while they were going through all of that, what was happening, but they had each other, and that's something I think we could draw from. We talked about love, love one another. They also had each other, even though they didn't fully understand what was going on, and they had each other to lean on. Correct me if I'm wrong, is Peter, he was by himself when he denied Christ, right? Everyone else had fallen away. He was there uh, outside of the uh, wherever they were trying Jesus. Uh, it was in the high priest's uh, area of the temple, and John had kind of gone in with Jesus, and Peter was there with the people that were kind of surrounding and watching kind of the event, kind of the look, looky loose. <laughs> but he was by himself as far as the, with with no none of the other disciples. Yeah, and I just, that example in Scripture, being by himself and being put in the situation he was and then denying Christ like Christ said he would, it makes me think that we should try to avoid being by ourselves, right? We should try to be together even in those times of uncertainty and not knowing, which we all go through in our lives. We need to bind ourselves to our, our brothers and our sisters. That way we don't get ourselves in a position like Peter was in and then end up making mistakes. That's just the, something that came across my mind as we were talking about this yeah and i agree and and to to what dad was saying too also this idea of make up your mind beforehand what you're going to say or do that way when the event happens you've already made up your mind what you're going to say or do Uh, remain faithful and then like you're saying kevin attach yourself to like-minded individuals uh, that have already made up their mind and so when we do go through trouble because uh Imagine this, Jesus also promises uh, that we will go through trouble. <laughs> That's also another promise. Uh, but it's going to happen. And so we need to make up our minds now that when we are tempted to stray from the faith or to abandon our faith or to uh, go through these trials where we are, are tempted to blame God or, or whatever it is that we comes to our mind, if we make up our minds beforehand that we're not going to do that, we're going to remain faithful it becomes, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word easy, uh, but it becomes something that it's, it's just second nature then to you. You're, you're already made up your mind to do it, 
and therefore it becomes easier for you to follow through with your, uh, your plans. Uh, if you're going to your faith as kind of a uh, quick fix uh, band-aid option, uh, you know, you're, you're faced with a trial and you're not really faithful. And then all of a sudden now I'm going to be faithful and then it doesn't work out the way that you thought it should. And so therefore blame God and abandon all hope. It's like, well, you've, you've missed the point, you've missed the, you missed the comfort that Jesus is trying to get into his disciples' minds here. It's, he's saying, you're going to go through troubles. Remember me. Remember what I've taught you. Stay focused on the truth that I've revealed to you and make up your mind before any of this even happens to remain faithful. Because even if you do that, it's still possible for you to make the mistake, i.e., Peter. Uh, he said beforehand, I'm going to go with you. I can do this. I can handle it. And then we know he didn't. He, he denied him. The people that are milling around out there watching witness all this happening, they're asking, you're, you're with him, aren't you? And, G- and Peter's like, uh-uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And three times he does this. And so it's a, even if he made up his mind, you can still fall short. And that's where I think your, your point there, Kevin, he, he removed himself from the the company of his brothers, uh, and he made himself more vulnerable. Uh, but it all plays together, and in our spiritual walk and our faith, we got to rely on one another, the love of each other, and our connection to Jesus and His words of comfort, and make up our mind to remain faithful beforehand. That's that's key uh, in our spiritual walk. And so, faith has to be a key aspect for these disciples in order to survive this calamity. And then there needs to be something kind of like uh, what's in it for me, kind of what's the, why should I be doing all of this and going through all of this? There's going to be a massive, spectacular reward, the kingdom and its reward. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm, I'm going to do this for you. And there's, it's not just going to be some lean to shelter against a prevailing northerly wind, you know, where you're, you're sort of protected from the elements. This is going to be a glorious palace. This is going to be a mansion that it's prepared specifically for you. And I often use this illustration of, you know, the mailbox with your name on it and the mansion that uh, is yours on that street of gold. And picture that just for a moment. And that's what Jesus wants these, these men to see with their faith's eye. He says, if you have this faith in me, if you have this faith in God, and I'm not going to lie to you, here's, here's what I'm going to do, because when I'm away from you, this is what I'm doing. I'm preparing a place for you, and it is going to be glorious and it's going to be worth all of this pain and suffering, all the things that you're going to have to deal with here just for a temporary moment compared to eternity. This is yours. Yeah, when I think of the the mansions and the streets of gold, it, it doesn't seem to fit me. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want a, a mansion in the street of gold, but I think I will when I get there. Whatever God has prepared for us is exactly what we need. And I... I used to be under the illusion that I was just going to a permanent vacation. Like, oh, yeah, you do all this work, and then you get to live in a vacation for the rest of eternity. 
But I believe that we're actually going there. We're going to get this reward, but then we also get to serve God and we get to work in heaven for God. And that's going to be rewarding in and of itself. And I do all these things we think about, we don't really understand, but just knowing that when we get there, it's going to be way better than we could ever imagine here. Yeah. And they just use the, you know, in John, when describing heaven, he's, he's using picturesque language there in, in the book of Revelation to try to describe something that is undescribable. <laughs> uh, and so he's, he's going through and trying to describe this, this beautiful, perfect place of, of comfort and rest uh, and perfection. Uh, and it's something that, like you said, we can't wrap our minds around it uh, because we are mortal. We live in a where where we have human bodies and we decay and we perish and we live in discomfort and uh, and death. Uh, and it and it's a reality of our sin um, that we have to live like this. But the good news is that Jesus says, "I'm going to prepare a place for you." And and also better news. You can follow me. <laughs> you can follow me to this place. I'm going there, and then you're going to follow me. It's not going to be something that you're going to be on the outside looking in. Look at how great it is over there. No, you're going to be there right there with me. And so this is a huge comfort, even though we have to suffer through uh, <laughs> this life and all of its uh, ailments and illnesses and and death and sorrow and pain and, and suffering and all the things that we have to do because of our sin, Jesus says, I'm going to conquer sin. I'm going to wipe it out, and then there's going to be a perfect place of comfort that I'm going to prepare for you if you remain faithful, if you remember me. <laughs> and so that gives us some incentive, and it gives the disciples here some incentive uh, to remain faithful, to remember what they what Jesus taught, and then trust in Jesus. Uh, when is Jesus ever not kept his promise? Well, never. He's always kept his promise. And so when Jesus promises, I'm going to prepare a place for you, you can count on it. He's going to do it. Uh, And so then we have to hold up our end of the bargain and remain faithful and be prepared to go to this place of comfort. And I like the idea that uh, when, when Alex says we get to follow him, in the Old Testament, the high priest would enter into the most holy place once per year and intercede for the people and be that intercessory between the sins of the people and the perfect God. And so this, he would enter the most holy place once a year. No one was allowed to follow the high priest into the, the most holy place. Nobody. In fact, if, if you dared you were killed. I mean, it was instantly, God would take you out. I mean, if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you know, we, we see all this happening in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I'm going into this beautiful place. I'm the forerunner. And the Hebrew writer would, more, would explain it more fully in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. And the Hebrew writer would say, you can follow me right in there. There's, there's never been a high priest like me. I'm going into the heavenly sanctuary. I'm going into the most holy place. I'm going into the presence of God. And you, all of you, can follow. All of you may follow me. And there's a certainty that's involved there. There's something that gives us that confidence, that comfort, because 
Jesus is not only leaving, but he's paving the way. He's going to show us the way. And I believe it's verse six there in John chapter 14, where it says, I am the way. And so here's the comfort that is going to be offered by Jesus in this comfort or this let this third word of comfort from, from Jesus to his disciples and all the way down to us. We can follow right into the most holy place. Yeah, and Jesus says it with authority. Uh, A.B. Bruce points out, like Socrates and other philosophers can only, uh, I'll use the word again, pontificate. <laughs> Open the door. <laughs> there goes the oxygen. <laughs> no, they could just, you know, think about and, and, and guess and have theories about life after death. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be the authority in this. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to go into the glorified state. And it is a real place, and you can follow me there, and I'm going to speak with authority on this because I am the forerunner, as Dad said. I'm the one that paved the trail for you to follow. And so we're not just guessing and theorizing and uh, pontificating <laughs> about it, but we are following the one that actually went there. Uh, and that really should give us some uh, encouragement and some comfort. And his disciples here, they're just telling him, there's some comfort there. It's not just, eh, there might be someplace cool if you you know remain faithful. No, I, I'm going to prepare a place. There is going to be a real place. I'm going to be the one that's going to lead you there, and you can follow me. Hugely comforting words from Christ. And all that, he still can't put it into words that we can understand it. <laughs> and he knows what it is. We still... Don't have anything that, may, oh yeah, this is exactly what it is. We don't know. We just know it's going to be awesome. Yeah. If if God, I think, revealed the glorified state to us, it would probably explode our brains. I mean, we probably could not handle it physically. <laughs> Poptificate. <Yeah. laughs> and so in this word of consolation, he says there's a promise attached to this. Not only am I going to provide for you this wonderful place where you can enter and follow me, but while you're here, while you remain here, while you're separated from me personally, physically, I will give you another comforter. He promises to be present with them via a substitute comforter. Verse 16 of John 14 it says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And so the Spirit would make the absent Jesus present to them again. And then he goes on to say in, in the following verses in chapter 14, he says, this Spirit is going to remind you of everything I taught you. He's going to testify about Jesus and and." provide the proof that's necessary and then guide them into everything else that needs to be taught. And so the spirit, the Holy spirit is going to be very active from here on out for the entire life of these disciples who will become apostles. And so this, this promise that's attached to this word of comfort would, would be this thing where it's like, I'll always be with you. And you don't have to do this alone. You will never be alone. And that is the beauty of Christianity. That's the beauty 
of the Holy Spirit working through these men and then via our baptism into Christ, we're promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same, that's that same power that's there for us to have that comfort and say, you know, while Jesus is not here physically, he is here spiritually. I have a question for you too. And it's something that I've been asked before by non-believers. Have you ever felt the presence of the Holy Spirit or the peace that was promised by the Holy Spirit in your lives? Uh, yes, for sure. Uh, and there's there's times, and usually for, for me, it was in, in the moments when it was the worst, the darkest, the, the bleakest days, you know, the worst possible moments in life. And over a period of lifetime, there's, there's several low points, uh, and I can look back at several of those occurrences in my life and because of uh, my training because of my my parents because of my my faith in God I knew he was there in spite of the darkness in spite of all of the the trials the tribulations all those all those words in spite of all of that I could feel that comfort even though I couldn't see, you know, past the trees. I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I was, I was in the dark pit. And it's like, yep, I, thankfully, I was taught, I knew which way was up. <laughs> and there, there's only one explanation for that, and that's the Word of God. That's the Holy Spirit working through these dark times. Yeah, and then on a smaller scale, uh, not to uh, diminish that, idea though but this this idea of the holy spirit working through the words of christ uh, through the scriptures uh, I, there are many times where you know a teacher on sunday morning will get up and they'll they'll have prepared a, a lesson for class and then just divinely it matches exactly what i'm preaching on that sum, that sunday and it's like we never talked about it. We never talked. We never discussed anything. And then all of, all of a sudden, it's just like, huh, something the Holy Spirit wanted to teach us is coming out, and it's coming through multiple individuals who are all seemingly in sync, speaking of the same type of topic, uh, and teaching and learning and going through and studying the words uh, in our scriptures, uh, unbeknownst to each other, just kind of going, huh. How did that happen? Uh, and, you know, and so just kind of you can go to these these major extremes of comfort when we're in our darkest moments and then just kind of the the everyday things where we just, you know, I have to stop and say, well, that's that's just got to be a God thing. That that was a God thing. Something something happened there uh, at, to where, you know, I, I, I took a left turn instead of a right turn and, and something happened uh, to where I'm now safer because of this. And it's it's nothing that I can explain except for just the Holy Spirit's presence watching over me. Uh, and you have these type of experiences. And then, you know, you talk about, you know, going to uh, specific worship uh, times where we're, we're really involved in, in singing and, and studying the Word and, and being in fellowship with one another and just kind of feeling the Lord's presence in, in certain aspects of your life. I mean, if you've ever been to you know, these massive, uh, like revivals, we go down to the, uh, 
Red River Family Encampment, and you, we get some great speakers, and we're all singing, and, and it's just a, a wonderful experience. You feel so uplifted. It's like, well, what is that? I mean, it's, we're, it's the same people that we see day in and day out, you know, <laughs> but it's, there's You're something, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something special, you know, and there, there's, there's these special things throughout our, our, our walk. And then just, you know, as you're reading the scripture and you've probably experienced this as well, but you, you go through and you start reading the scripture and you're reading the same passage that you've read, you know, 36 times before, but all of a sudden, oh, I never saw that before. Oh, or, oh, this, this means something a little bit different uh, to me now because something in my life has changed and, and just kind of how the, the scripture speaks to you, even though I've read it, you know, and, and you may be the person that's read it hundreds of times, but you just get something different out of the scripture every time. And I'm not saying that, that the scripture changes, but you change and the Holy Spirit reveals uh, more uh, to you at different times at different points in your life. And so we, we get this constant reminder in our high points, in our low points, in our darkest moments, just on the day-to-days. It's just a, if you're looking for his presence, you're going to see it. Uh, and But if you're, if you're not, uh, yeah, I can see where people say, well, I don't know, he doesn't really exist. But I would, I would argue, I would say, look for it, look for it. Look for his work in your life, and if you're truly looking for it and seeking, you're going to find it. And I to to tag on to what both of you said, I agree with you both in what Alec was saying as far as looking for it. I think it also depends on how much I'm trying to connect to it, connect to the Holy Spirit, connect to God. My seeking of that is going to gain me more connection through my study, through my prayer, through my worship to God. If I don't do that, because I've had times in my life where I've been very lackluster in those things, and I didn't have the same feeling of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can control that. And then like George was saying, you put it into some words, and I I can't put the feeling into words that I get, but it's just like feeling loved and peace. It's just like those two things, and that's the best I can do, but that doesn't do it justice as far as like the presence of the Holy Spirit. But that's so hard to explain to people, so I just wanted to hear what you guys had to say. And my biggest concern with, you know, this whole, uh, you know, thought process of thinking about the Holy Spirit is we have also have to be very careful uh, to allow the Scripture to be guiding our thoughts. Uh, if we allow our feelings to guide our feelings, <laughs> I mean, I spoke about this on Sunday. I know, uh, Kevin, you weren't here, but that's kind of what my, my sermon was on Sunday, this idea of, well, if I'm going to start following my own feelings and my own emotions and allow those to change what the scripture says and then claim that's the Holy Spirit guiding me, I think you've, you've missed the point there. Uh, while our feelings and our emotions are very important, we cannot let them uh, usurp what the scripture teaches. And so when we are seeking the Holy Spirit and his presence, we got to make sure that it is in line with what the scripture teaches and it's not something that we're just kind of going off on our own feeling and then claiming the Holy Spirit's presence because that is a very dangerous reality uh, as well. Well, people will, will say, well, the Holy Spirit guided me in this direction and we have we have multiple uh, denominations from the church from this very aspect of people claiming to be guided by the Holy Spirit 
into a new teaching, and then all of a sudden you've got this fraction and this division of the Lord's body into something that it was never designed to be, be just because of a misunderstanding of what the Holy Spirit is and how he actually works in our life. And so uh, if if you are struggling with it or if you have questions about it, I encourage you to go to the source where all of this information is, and it's the Scripture. Go to your Bible uh, because it'll teach you what what aspects of the Holy Spirit actually does, how it comforts you, uh, and how it works in your life. And if it deviates from what the Scripture teaches, then be very careful following that type of spirit. Yeah, and like you said, you were seeking the Holy Spirit. I don't I don't think we should seek the Holy Spirit. I don't think that's what you meant by that. I think we just seek God, and the Holy Spirit is our helper in that. We know through the Old Testament that God is a jealous God. What's the first commandment? Have no other gods before me. We need to just seek God, and then the Holy Spirit is what helps us on that journey to truth. And so this, this third word of consolation as far as there's a reward waiting, there, there seems to be this, this one verse that kind of stands out in all of these uh, chapters in 14, 15, and 16 of John. In chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I love how A.B. Bruce paraphrases the connection between the words of consolation that is happening in these chapters and this one phrase, if you love me, keep my commandments. And on page 387, uh, A.B. Bruce says, we may paraphrase the words so as to indicate the connection of thought somewhat as follows. He says, quote, if you love me, show not your love by idle sorrow, but by keeping my commandments, whereby ye shall render to me a real service. Let the precepts which I have taught you from time to time be your concern, and be not troubled about yourselves. Leave your future in my hands. I will look after it, for I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter. And so what a beautiful sentiment to think that this is our response to these words of comfort. This is what the disciples, this is how they responded. They obeyed these words, these commands. Jesus says, this is what I want to see from you. I want to see love one another. I want to see that. What do we see in the life of these disciples that would become apostles? We see them loving each other. And what else do we see? Well, we see them keeping the commandments. We see them furthering the kingdom. And so all the things that Jesus is telling them, we see the disciples following these commandments. And so our response should be exactly the same. And so the fulfillment of this promise uh, and the keeping of the commandments, they all go together. All of this is linked together. And Jesus says, this is what I want to see, not only from these 11 men that are in the room with him, but all the way out here to the 21st century. He wants to see that in us. And as leaders in the church, he says, I want you to set this example so others can see you as we have seen them, and so on. And isn't that the, uh, the passage there in 2 Timothy 2, 2? That's exactly what has is, is happened over these 21 centuries. We've followed those examples. And so others can follow ours. There's been a lot of times where I've 
been studying with people and talked about that exact thing, following commandments, you know, trying to live, you know, according to Christ. And then I always get the, but you're not saved by works. Like that's always that, that missile fired across the bow, but you're not saved by works. And it just hit me just now. It doesn't say you're saved. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not that you're saved by keeping the commandments. It's if you love me, you keep my commandments. And that's something I need to put in my back pocket for next time. Because it's like, yeah, go to James. I always say, just let's read James. Let's just do five chapters. Because <laughs> <pretty quick, right? laughs> that explains it the best. But yeah, it's not works, right? It says, if you love me, you will do this. Not You'll be saved if you do this. Yeah. And the reason why we love him is because he saved us. <laughs> and the reason why uh, we, you know, we do the things that we do, we do the work, uh, we do the commandments, is because we've received the grace and mercy uh, from God. Uh, and how do we prove it? How do we put our uh, belief into action? Well, that's called faith, uh, and that is keeping the commandments. Uh, and so it all kind of circles on each other, and it's like, so do you just saved by your works? No, you need faith and belief as well. Well, are you just saved by your faith and belief? No, you need works to go alongside of it. Like you said, James says faith without works is dead. They go hand in hand together. Uh, and us as human beings, we like to separate them. We like to put them into two separate piles. Well, all throughout scripture, Jesus puts them together. Uh, and so true Christianity is putting them together. The reason why I keep the commandments is because I love Jesus. And the reason why I love Jesus is because of what he did for me. Uh, and so it all kind of runs hand in hand and all of that runs off of my belief structure and my faith. And it all uh, melds perfectly like a perfectly designed plan. Uh, imagine that. <laughs> but uh, like you said, people will try to separate the two and, Scripture does not teach that, and so be very uh, wary of, of, of that. And so as, as A.B. Bruce kind of wraps up this first section of chapter 24 uh, in his book, he reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because they'll see God. And in this farewell discourse with his disciples, he says, Be pure in heart. And the spirit of truth, this comforter, this comforter that's like me, you'll see me through that spirit. You'll see me even though I'm invisible. And so that's the comforting words that Jesus gives to these little children as Jesus uses that phrase. It's an endearing phrase uh, as if he was speaking to small children. And as Kevin mentioned earlier, they were children in their faith. They hadn't seen everything that we've seen. They haven't experienced everything that we've experienced. They don't know all the information yet. But the Holy Spirit, it will guide them there. And then when they follow those words, it will lead directly to Christ. And where is he? In the most holy place. And that's where we can be with them. Yeah, and, and if you're sitting there and you're listening and you're saying, but I have a question about this or uh, I have a question about that. It's like, well, you're in good company because 
uh, the disciples had the same thought. And they asked Jesus, they paused him throughout all of this and asked all these different questions that went off in seemingly tangents in this direction and that direction, but their minds were racing and, and, and going off and, and thinking of all sorts of things, and they just they stopped Jesus and they asked him these questions. And so Jesus, as as a father would, you know, during, you know, a very serious conversation and, and the child starts asking questions, he stops and he, he answers them. And so A.B. Bruce kind of breaks up this chapter, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, uh, into two, and we're going to tackle all these questions. So if you have a question, hold your thought. <laughs> we'll see if the Jesus answers it uh, in next week. But uh, uh, these comforting words that we heard from Jesus today are just they they are comforting. I mean, they they do fill me with uh, with comfort, as they uh, hopefully do uh, those that are listening as well. I thought you were about ready to roll into next week. I was like, man, I need I some more coffee. Let's do, do that. that. <laughs> <laughs> we leave you with these questions: What would be the effect on the world if Christians loved one another as Christ loved them? What are some of the rewards you can expect to receive in heaven because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers? Thank you so much for joining us for this week's study.